You are listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. Recently named one of Christianity Today's 12 podcasts you don't want to miss, 2021, I'm your host, Marty Duran. I want to talk to you for a minute about my buddy Sam Morris and his leather work. He made me a cool leather journal cover. I use a Loistrom uh, 1917 journal for most of my journaling and my time management, productivity issues, all that kind of stuff, and uh, carries my pencils and a field notes little pad, uh, and he did a fantastic job. He got his start making uh, pastoral or teaching note cover, uh, notebooks, so they're made out of leather. Uh, pastors use them for their preaching notes. Professors use them for their teaching notes, uh, and these things are high quality, and they look fantastic. Now, here's the deal. You can only get him on Twitter. It's at Sam Morris eight at S A M O R R I S numeral eight at Sam Morris eight on Twitter. Hit him up. He'll get in contact with you there and give you a quote. Uh, and you will not be disappointed in your leather work from Sam. Well, a lot of folks think that we talk too much about race in the United States and I think what is what I would agree with is we talk too much. We talk too badly too much about race in the United States and we don't have enough productive conversations because whether you like it or not, uh, race and racial issues and racial dynamics are still an issue in the United States. If you don't believe me, just look at the uh, emphasis that was placed on critical race theory leading up to the last election. Look at what so many school boards are doing to try to control uh, how race is discussed in classrooms and whether race is discussed in classrooms, even if it means uh, taking some really odd approaches, to put it nicely and mildly, to American history. Uh, my guest today is pastor of the Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and he's just gotten there actually recently, but he's the author of Talking About Race, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations. Isaac Adams believes that there is a way that Christians can move this conversation forward. But we do need to talk to each other, and we need to listen to each other. Uh, this is a good book, and I think you'll inter- enjoy and uh, this conversation with Isaac, and I really hope that you will share it with folks, and especially folks that you know that um, struggle with the idea of, are we talking too much about race, and will we ever make any progress, and is this conversation ever going to go away? So here's our conversation in talking about race. My guest today is the pastor, the lead pastor, my bad, of Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For those of you who are listening overseas, this is not Birmingham, England. It is Birmingham, <laughs> Alabama. Uh, where's Iron City in relationship to any like the Vulcan statue? Yeah, Vulcan. I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still learning the ropes, but Vulcans, he can't be far. I mean, everything in Birmingham is... 12 to 20 minutes from everything. So Vulcan, I mean, Vulcan's six minutes up the road. He's not far from us. Okay. That's not bad. Uh, Previously, you were, um, you were a pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, DC. Were you, what, what did you have like pastor of something or was it just a teaching pastor or you just like pastor Isaac? Uh, I was an, I was what's called an assistant pastor, uh, which is teaching counseling. It's basically the closest thing to a kind of pastoral residency. So I was okay. in that role for a couple of years with the hopes of being sent out to be a lead pastor somewhere else, whether that was filling a pastorate, planting, revitalizing, and all that good stuff. Okay. And founder of United We Pray, 
um, ministry devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. So, Isaac Adams, welcome to Uncommentary. Hey, man, thank you for having me. It's good to be here with you, Marty. So you're from D.C. originally. Uh, tell, tell everybody something about yourself that's interesting, that they might like to know, that you might want them to know, even if they don't want to know it. Oh, my goodness, man. Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Like, did you ever climb uh, up in Abraham Lincoln's lap at the, uh, at the Lincoln Memorial? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't do that. But, I mean, I will say, okay, how about this? Uh, <laughs> um I will say I didn't I never as an adult I never went to the monuments much and that's because my mom who I dedicated the book to uh-huh. uh, and whom I revere um, and fear uh, <laughs> she made us go she made us do field trips as a kid all the time so okay. I just I just was like I've seen these I kind of am scarred from these and so I just never really saw them that much afterward oh but, gosh that is awesome yes. Yeah, so lots of field trips in D.C. Uh, around our hometown, yeah. That is cool. I've only been there once, uh, and it's been several years. I would have loved to go back. We, were, we like, did the uh, the Chevy Chase tour, you know, where we tried to see everything in, like, yes. four days' time. And yes. um, I would love to go back and be able to, like, really take some time to explore more and, and not feel quite like we had to get, uh, you know, back to the hotel by a certain time and all that kind of stuff. But it's a cool yeah, city. Yeah, my, my – it is, man. My favorite are tourists who think, because uh, I live, you know, right there on Capitol Hill, obviously, who think they could walk from the Capitol to the Lincoln and back. It's like six miles. Yeah. And people are like, oh, it's right there. We'll just, we'll yeah. just hoof it. And Uber, they sit down there like just sharks, just waiting for people yes. to faint. And <laughs> they're, just, they're just like, we'll take good care of you. So I that's my tip first, for you, Marty. Yeah, we stayed at like, I, I don't know, the Hilton or something, Hilton Garden Inn. I don't know. It's right. It, it wasn't far from the, the mall. And mm. so, like, we got there in the afternoon, got into the room and all that stuff. And so, or it was late, I think. And so we just said, well, the next morning we'll go down to that. We'll walk down to the mall. It's, not, it's only like four blocks. We'll walk down to the mm-hmm. National Mall. Mm-hmm. So then we turned that corner and I'm like, huh, this is a lot bigger than it looks on television. That's <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is not. I mean, it is not for the faint of heart. So It is not your backyard. That is for sure. It is not. So, hey, you, uh, you've just recently written a book, and it's called Talking About Race, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations. And so um, I do want to talk about this. And one of the things I was thinking really as I was, like, getting everything set up for this is, uh, you know, Rodney King now 30-something years ago is like, hey, can't mm-hmm. we all just get along? Can't, can't mm-hmm. we just put an end to this nonsense? Mm-hmm. And, and I see people, like, on social media – who will say things like, do we have to have another conversation? Why can't we just stop mm-hmm. talking about this? Why do we always have to make it a topic of conversation? So you got a whole book about why we should and how we should. What mm-hmm. led you to write this book? Yeah, I was, um, <clears throat> I was originally setting out to write a book uh, that would be different on how to combat racism, just some practical guidance. on. To answer that question, I'm so often asked when I teach about race and racism, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I was writing that book, Ahmaud Arbery was gunned down, and now mm-hmm. I can say murdered. Um, and an uh, African-American actor, Sterling K. Brown, went live on Facebook um, 
to talk about how as an African-American in predominantly white spaces, often he felt like he had to wear a mask of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is right during the COVID-19 outbreak. So he was holding his mask mm-hmm. for COVID and saying long before COVID, I, w- I felt like I had to wear a mask all the time. And I resonated with that. Uh, deeply. And I think that's a common African-American experience. So at the beginning of the book, I quote Paul Lawrence Dunbar from 1896 with the famous poem, We Wear the Mask. Uh, And it dawned on me that lots of people felt that even folks who weren't African-American, and we can talk about, you know, whether they felt that with equal amounts of pain or whatever whatever Mm -hmm. they uh, felt it with, but they felt it. And Mm -hmm. as a pastor, I noticed this. And um, to me, it seemed uh, that before we could talk about action, we needed to learn how to talk, period, and learn to struggle, learned why we even struggled to do that. And another way to think about it, Marty, is this. I think often um, a lot of folks come to this and they're like, man, I want to, I want to pursue justice. I want to maintain unity, whatever their good desire is. And I'm Mm -hmm. all for those things. And yet I'm like, yeah, but you can't even have a constructive conversation (laughs) with that person you dread seeing at Thanksgiving, much less on Sunday morning. So maybe if you actually, if we took some time to think about why it's so hard to talk about it, just that simple thing, why is this so hard to to talk about? We'd actually be better equipped to run the marathon of racial justice that we should run. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, if you set out to run a marathon tomorrow, like I just, what can I do? I want to go run the marathon. Yeah, you're well, it's going to be a train wreck if you're asking me if I'm going to set up and run a marathon tomorrow. <laughs> well, so that's what I'm saying. I think a lot of folks are wrecking in this in their pursuits. Yeah. Uh, and it's because they've not given uh, the adequate thought uh, to what putting their hand to the plow of racial justice really requires. So that's mm. what I'm trying to help them do through the portal that we all walk through, which is difficult conversations. So you set the book up um, a little different than any I've seen recently. You you create five personas. I think it's five. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And rather than like quoting a bunch of people that you saw on Facebook or Twitter and how weird they are or whatever and what bad mm-hmm. theology they have, you mm-hmm. use these five personas to kind of tell a story. And in your story, I think um, uh, African-American boy, I believe, is shot uh, or killed. And then the conversations that play around that event that take place Mm -hmm. in the home and at church between church leaders and between family members and all those kinds of things uh, really represent the conversations that actually happen in real life. So Mm -hmm. talk through how you set that up and and the conversations that you track with to try to demonstrate what reality looks like if we could stand at a distance and kind of watch ourselves involved in these things. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about, you know, it, it, the the book is a weird animal in that sense. I'm not, people would ask, like, what genre it is. I'm like, well, it's fiction, nonfiction, <laughs> kind of. So the best I have is it's, there are a bunch of parables with pastoral commentary, right? That's good. Yeah, that's um, fine, yeah. Yeah, and so, and the reason I went with that route, Marty, were a couple of reasons. Number one, stories are powerful, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Isabel Wilkerson, outside of being, you know, just astute historically what she did with those narratives i mean it's just it's captivating i just finished the warmth of other suns on audiobook on the way back from a business trip yeah right so i mean you so you 
Yeah, it's just tremendous. Yeah. I mean, it is just enthralling these three stories you're following mm-hmm. and tracking with, right? Uh, or we just think of much more closely David and Nathan, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and he says, Thou art, David's all in until he realizes, oh, I'm looking in a mirror, <laughs> right? And so what I wanted to do in these stories was hold up the mirror. Yeah. Uh, and, and instead of me telling you, you know, this is what you said and you maybe you've said this sometime, I'm just going to show you. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, I think it was, you know, it was James Baldwin who said, you know, don't tell me the sun is purple. You know, the sunset is purple. Show me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to show people. And, fr- and there were other things uh, that I think needed to be said where it's like, I don't own these things, but I want people to hear them. And so I yeah. was like, I need these characters. And so, what? I, yeah, what I've tried to do is set up these five personas, like you said. A young man is killed. I tried to set up a, a tragedy that I hope sounds eerily familiar on some yeah. level. I yeah, I mean, it's like reading like, the newspaper for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, so hopefully, you know, folks resonate with that. And then they resonate with these five folks. So you've got, you know, Hunter, who is, uh, you know, let's just call him early 40s, politically conservative, but sympathetic to the con- wants to be sympathetic to the conversation, mm-hmm. doesn't know where to start, feels silenced in the conversation, kind of rolls his eyes when people are like, hey, you should go listen and learn. Uh, you've got Darius, who is the same age as Hunter, same uh, social class, but is the only black brother in his church, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's navigating wearing that mask, right? Uh, you've got uh, Sarah Beth and her, uh, I'm sorry, Anna Beth, uh, and her sister, uh, Samantha Hey, it's your Lee. book, dude. You can call me a thing you want to. <laughs> That's right. That's right, man. <laughs> um, but anyway, but you have, and I don't love this term, but I'll use it shorthand because uh, I'm sure your listeners will appreciate, will, will understand it. Uh, Annabeth is super woke and has just gotten mm-hmm. super woke and she is ready to tear the church down, right? And uh, <laughs> her sister is the exact opposite, hyper-conservative. Yeah. And uh, you watch them duke it out. Uh, you have an Asian sister named Jane. Uh, and really, I've, I have uh, Jane, I think is so useful in the story because uh, she wants more than a black and white conversation. Although mm-hmm. she is only sympathetic with that conversation, but wondering... Uh, you know, I have this experience too. Am I allowed to share? Uh, and then last and maybe least, uh, you have their pastor. And uh, so they're all members of the same church. And I tried to help pastors or help people understand what it's like to be uh, the shepherd in the middle yeah. of all these dueling sides. So um, how, how, do these, how do you recommend these conversations get started? Um, <clears throat> because, um, the, the man Hunter and Darius Hunter yeah. kind of sort of wants to have a conversation. He kind of feels like he's had conversations before, mm-hmm. but he kind of knows that they didn't really get where they needed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be a little bit of a, um, challenge is not challenge is a word. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the right word. I don't mm-hmm. think. Uh, mm-hmm. It can really be scary mm-hmm. to yes. to to think if you're Hunter or Darius, I need to talk to my friend. I'm pretty sure he's not going to understand, but we still need to talk. Mm-hmm. And if this doesn't go well, <laughs> what happens? Mm-hmm. Um, how how do we get started in these conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, 
on some level, uh, I hope what I show in the book is that uh, we won't be able to remove all risk. Um, so I try to I try to give some guidelines, but love is risky. And mm-hmm. love is challenging, right? And and so, and love can be painful, right? Mm-hmm. The cross of Christ shows us this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the most loving, you know, act, and the most painful. And yeah. so, I don't want for, but I try to speak to that to say, hey, let's not let's make it as least painful as it can be. And right. so, a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, one is, one is we just realizing we don't have that much control in the conversation. This event happened, you know, when a George Floyd happens, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's kind of brought upon you, whether you are ready or not to talk about it. Uh, But beyond that, um, I think the level of experience is really useful to talk about. And that's really what I'm doing through these characters, also trying to do through these characters, highlight these different experiences Mm -hmm. uh, and just say, this is my, so I'm not going to, you know, whip out, uh, this set of stats, because everyone has their set of stats that allows them to remain in their predetermined camp, right? So I'm not going to just whip out this set of stats. I'm not going to make this a real abstract thing. I'm just going to speak to my experience. And so mm-hmm. how about this uh, for a very shorthand, um, uh, two shorthand ways to start. Number one is just asking someone, hey, can you share your experience with me? Mm-hmm. Second question, can I share my experience with you? Now, you know, if the person says, actually, please don't, then the conversation's <laughs> over. Um, a fourth, a fourth question, uh, 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 or a third question, I don't know where I am in my list, but it's just four simple words that I think would save a lot of headache and heartache. Uh, and it's, what did you mean? Mm. I think that question alone. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, hey, man, I saw you post this thing on Facebook. Um, can you just help me understand what you meant when you said X instead of you must have meant X, Y, and Z. Now Mm -hmm. there still might be room for, uh, reproof for correction, for instruction of like, Hey, I'm glad you meant that actually the, regardless of your intention, the impact of your words was this, but that allows people to actually communicate, uh, versus just yelling at them and telling them how much of a Marxist or a racist they are. Right. But how much of a Marxist are you? No. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, okay, Marty, let me just hop in for a second because I just want to show uh, how much I behaved when we started the show. When you said, oh, man, you know, I've only been to D.C. once. I was going to say, yeah, I thought I saw you on January 6th, but I behaved and I didn't say that. So... Man, that's cold-blooded, dude. <laughs> I, well, I was, you know, I was like, I can't be here trying to model pastoral conversation and say this to this man who I'm talking to for the first time. Look, and there's I all cannot, these sensitive pastoral <laughs> feelings. Yeah, dude, about I can't that, deny yeah. that there's a resemblance between me and a lot of the guys that were in those shots. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I can't deny that. Well, hey, you uh, said it. So yeah. There, well, I mean, there, look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ever seen a picture of me, anybody? <laughs> so uh, I'm um, sorry, I got us off track. No, it's yes. cool. But those so, are some; those are just some of the tips I try to offer. Yeah. Hey, folks! Here's a quick reminder to become a patron for Uncommentary. The two dollar and three dollar levels are soon going away. Not that they're going to disappear, but they'll be full. Uh, they're capped. So if you'd like to become a sponsor right now, I encourage you to go to Patreon.com/slash Uncommentary and go ahead and grab 
one of those remaining spots at the $2 and $3 level. It won't be long before $5 will be the minimum, and uh, I hope to have a lot more sponsors going forward. I thank you for every single person who already is and ask that you would consider doing that because it really does help alleviate some burdens, uh, cover some expenses, and occasionally be able to go out to eat or something like that. So um, if you can, do, and I will be greatly appreciative. And don't forget to share, rate, and review in your favorite podcast app. So I may have talked about this on here before, not this episode, obviously, but at some point in the past, when when Michael Brown was killed, um, that was really, it wasn't my awakening to, hey, there's racial issues and they need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything. It was like, you need to start talking to some people mm-hmm. and hearing stories and finding out exactly why uh, an African-American dude who's basically your age, who's also from the South, didn't experience life the way that you did. And so, um, I had, I don't know, lunch with three or four guys, a couple of guys I worked with, um, a couple of guys I went to church with at the time. And that's exactly what I would sit down at lunch and just say, would you tell me your experience growing up in the South as an African American dude? Because I got a feeling it's not like mine. And then I would just let them talk and I'd ask questions and it doesn't take a long time to, it, I mean, if you're an honest person, and I say that with absolute conviction, if you're an honest person yeah. and you're having these conversations and you're a white person from the South, and I, I'm only speaking from the South because I have never lived anywhere else. Um, yeah. It's probably the same everywhere in the States, but definitely in the South. Uh, there's a significant difference in the way that the average African-American man grew up and had the experiences of his life and the way that the average dude my age and in his 50s who's from the South, who's a white guy, grew up in the South. There is a stark difference, and it's not a one-off. It's a regular thing. It's the general experience. And it's it's worth talking to people who are not like me because I can't have sympathy. I can't empathize with my African American brothers when there's some kind of a tragedy that they feel like deeply and emotionally and I feel it, but I can't feel it the same way. I want to feel it. I want to know what they're going through, but I I don't do it. It's not as natural for me as it is for them. And I think these conversations can lead us in those directions. Do you, let me ask you this. Do you think whose response, who is, is, is a person, is anyone more responsible than someone else to start these conversations. In other words, is the are yeah. those in the majority more responsible than those in the minority to start these conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm going to answer in a minute, but there's some I want to make sure I I, I say before I forget. Okay. Um, uh, a couple things. One is th- that's a beautiful model you talked about, and it's very encouraging. And I think it's just. It's also sad to me that I think a lot of people would even push back on that. I'm just sitting and asking questions. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and that's the kind of p- present state of things. Uh, and the reason you, this kind of goes back to your first question. You know, one reason I talk so much about talking in the book mm-hmm. is because words are incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. So I am sympathetic with, you know, and even the Bible, let us not only talk, at, but love in words 
in word and in deed. Right, right. right. And so we want to be clear about that. And yet, look at how those conversations actually affected you and shaped and molded Mm -hmm. you in different ways so that you could go and pursue justice more faithfully. And so what I try to say in the book is the Bible talks so much about this big hole in our mouths. We need to give serious thought to it. It's not just kumbaya conversation so we can feel better about ourselves and leave the systemic issues uh, as the status quo would have them be. But these conversations can actually change your church or tear Mm -hmm. it apart or Mm -hmm. change your community or tear it apart. So Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to to speak to that because I think they're so important in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, to answer your question... Yes, uh, I do think uh, there is uh, what I talk about asymmetrical uh, responsibility in terms of the conversation. And I'd say that for whoever's in the in the majority group and in Mm -hmm. the minority group. Um, And I mean, you just think so, you know, you just think about the different responsibilities we have uh, and we want to uh, we want to as those in the. For those in the majority setting, you, I think, have more of the social capital, you mm-hmm. have more of the ease, you have more of whatever we want to call it, uh, to invite people into the conversation. And I remember this was really useful. I was I was speaking somewhere um, and someone was kind of getting at this question of like, why should white people... Uh, why should why should blacks be allowed to speak first in the conversation, right? <laughs> Sounds like a real power struggle kind of question. Uh, and I was trying to make clear, uh, it's not because we know everything, spoiler alert, we don't. Um, it's because black voices have been marginalized for so long. Yeah. And so that's why I would say, uh, you know, Marty, I think there's, uh, in my judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's, a disproportionate responsibility on you to listen at first. Uh, well, I because, think there's a yeah. there's a different biblical text I think that speaks to this that we don't always interpret the way I'm about to, and that's sure. to whom much is given, much is required. Um, yep. There's a yep. real strict interpretation that it's like money, so I don't have any, yep. so I'm not responsible for anything. <laughs> but those rich guys <laughs> really are, you know. Um, yeah, right. But right, it's not right, right. because there's a lots. Of, there are lots of things that we have been given and in the United States of America, if you're in the majority, then you've been in the majority for, you know, decades, centuries now. So I'm a middle-aged white dude. I've never been in the minority in the United States of America, not since it's founding, not since before it's founding. I've never been in the minority at all. I don't even know what it's like. I can't even imagine what it's like. Somebody's out there listening, saying, you're going to find out one of these days. Well, if I do, I do. And no, no big deal. Uh, mm. But because I've been given much, then much is required of me from influence to station to however you want to look at it, uh, privilege, whatever word you want to use, much has been given to me. So I am responsible. So if it's on me to start conversations, then by crackies, it's just on me to start conversations. And that's what I need to do because I'm responsible. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just, like we could go, there's, there's lots of texts we could look at, but I think it's just, yeah, I think looking at history in that kind of just that broad lens of just saying, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the way, I mean, it's the same reason, and I get at this in the book, someone calling me the N-word is different than someone calling you a cracker. Is it because yeah, I'm so. saying it's, 
Is it is it less sinful? Well, no. I mean, sin is sin is sin. But we all understand that that there's there's asymmetry in relationships, and so mm-hmm. we want to give particular attention to those dynamics. Yeah. And when we don't, we see the horrible conversations that result. Yeah. And I realize that Cracker has some kind of a history and it's supposed to be this super insult of some kind to white people. But man, I would just be like, you know, Ritz or Saltine. I mean, I would, it, it, it's not even a word for me. It's not, it's not even a thing that I would think about, you know? Right. But we um, all know if someone yeah. called me the N word, that right. that exactly. word is in a different, it's, it's, yeah. that is, we all know what that means. We yeah. all know what's meant by that. So absolutely. Yeah. It is a different class of thing. Yeah. Um, what, so what can churches do? We've kind of talked like individuals and having conversations yeah. and those kinds of things. What can churches do to propel this in the right direction? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, what I what I get what I try to get at at least is that's a good question because and I think it's an important question because every if you have five people in your church and they have five very different ideas of what your church should be doing, <laughs> it gets um, stressful to say yeah. the least as a pastor, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, what how I see it and how I understand it uh, is there, that's a two that's a question with two tiers. You have the church scattered, so you have individuals fulfilling their individual capacity. So all of the church should be doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. That Mm -hmm. is what the church should be doing. But what that looks like for you in your life or what it looks like for this homemaker or what it looks like for this lawyer may be different. And Mm -hmm. I think we really need to appreciate those differences. One, because racism is a monster with many heads, so we're going to need many different responses to get at it, right, and cut it off. Uh, But two, because what we often see in the conversation is people, I think, wrongly binding the consciences of of others to say, if Mm -hmm. you really love these people, you will do x y and z when it's Mm -hmm. like well actually i'm a mom with three kids i can't really do that but is there anything i can do right Right. hard for me to go down to the library with all of them to listen to a lecture right right exactly like when but that might look different for this businessman with means who's like actually i could buy four properties in this community and create mm-hmm. a, commu- a community center or whatever. Mm-hmm. It means. And all of that I think is glorifying to God. So I think that's super important because I think the enemy is actually pleased when we go after each other's consciences like that, when God just hasn't been that specific. Mm-hmm. So that's, so that's, um, so that's the church scattered, but the church gathered as a whole still has a responsibility. I talked about doing just, you have all the texts, like the church should be doing these things. Right. Uh, but beyond that, uh, the church should be making disciples, one, uh, who understand these things. The church itself should be declaring the truth. Uh, so I talk about very, so, you know, people are like, why are you talking about talking so much as if that's a big deal? Well, at churches in the era of reconstruction in the era of Jim, Jim Crow had churches mm-hmm. simply declared the truth. We're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, we're talking about, uh, from the pulpit, uh, with their mouths, had they declared <laughs> right. the truth and not twisted it. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. or, you know, I preached on the curse of ham recently. Had the, had the truth been declared, how different would the racial landscape of our country be? Mm-hmm. How different would the injustices and the effects of them be? And yet, because, and you know, had they declared the truth and excommunicated segregation, segregationists mm-hmm. and racists, 
How different would the matter be? And yet what we saw were churches, at least in our part of the country, certainly, being the last line of resistance toward all federal mandates because churches are voluntary associations. The government Mm -hmm. couldn't tell them what to do. And so this is where people went to be in their holy, holy with quotes, racist huddle. Yeah. And so, you know, Marty, so I, I'm sure there's someone much wiser than me who can come up with a church should do X, Y, and Z. But I'm big on declaring the truth that God has revealed. And had that been declared, we'd be in a much different state today. And that truth still needs to be revealed because there's still people who think me married to a white woman is wrong because of the book of Ezra or whatever it yeah. <laughs> uh, and so. And so, uh, so why? So I'm like, stay out of that temple. A church is called. A church is called to declare the truth, to protect the truth. Everyone is involved in that. Ephesians four tells us, uh, and so we can start there by declaring the truth of the matter. And in that sense, being a prophetic voice uh, that the culture should find salty, that mm-hmm. the culture should find as a bright light. And that is my sermon. Thank you for coming. <laughs> that is his sermon talk. Yes, right. Hey, uh, one one final thing, um, kind of expanding yeah. beyond the book just a little bit to yeah. um, a, a lot of this uh, talk about um, CRT and um, mm, race in the, in, in, the broad, in the broader culture. <laughs> in the broader culture. Um, yeah. do, you, do you feel like that, some of these slash maybe most all these con- these types of conversations are um, have as some kind of goal the suppression or the reversal of progress that is made on the racial front. Is it just is it just the uh, the Southern strategy with different language, or is it uh, you know the 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 spirit of the Confederacy? uh using three letters or something like that because i mean i'm not an expert in this stuff at all yeah yeah but i can tell that there's one side of expl- explanations that is that seems to track with everyone who's actually been involved in studying crt mm-hmm. uh academically versus mm-hmm. another side of people who seem to have grasped it and are just using the letters as a way to talk about things that they don't like about race, as opposed to where racism might or might not be embedded in law after the civil rights act uh, came to fruition. What do you, what is your make on all that? What is your take on all that stuff? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, Complicated question. And so let me say a few things. Number one uh, would be, um, that it's a spectrum, right? So I, so you certainly like, it's just, there's proof of people and even political operatives saying, we are trying to po- use this idea to poison the, the well. Poison the well, yeah, and yeah. Use, mm-hmm. Yeah, and use it, and use it as a, as a rhetorical weapon in that sense, mm-hmm. a device. Uh, and that's why, you know, you've seen the clips of people being like, I don't even know what this is, but I think they're teaching in my school, yes, so I don't like right. it, right? And so, um, and then, I mean, there are things, so I direct folks to United We Pray. We have a whole kit about CRT, not because we love talking oh, about cool. it, but because it was a real issue affecting churches. So we have a series of Okay, let's of pause right there. That is uwepray.com, yeah. uwepray, unitedwepray.com. 
Okay. That's right. And there's a there's a link called Kits. You can check out the CRT link right there. Because what I'm about to say is I think there can be uh, legitimate critiques with different tenets that even were in the kind of legal conversation, right? Mm-hmm. That we as Christians should be discerning about. But here's, here's where I would try to land this succinctly. Um, I think it's really, I think it's easier uh, to say what you are against. It's much harder, but I think much more worthwhile to say what you're for. So -hmm. we could talk about, you know, I can, uh, you know, we could talk about CRT and be like, hey, I'm against it. But okay, that doesn't undo all of what we just talked about from the last whatever we want to call it, 400 years, 200 Mm -hmm. years three decades uh and so now when we're living in the effect like i live in birmingham alabama Mm. you don't have to convince me about the reality of segregation (laughs) and its effects and so now my question uh is what do we do to be faithful as christians in light of that Mm -hmm. and just me sitting here saying no CRT, no CRT isn't going to get me there. In mm-hmm. other words, Marty, it's much easier to burn down a house than to build one. And what I'm trying to get folks to do is to build faithful, justice-oriented ethics in this in this conversation, in mm-hmm. this in this category, to say, you, yeah, we're going to need more than just what you don't like. We're going to actually need you to be so. Not in in that sense. We're going to actually, I we're going to need more than you just being reactive. We're mm-hmm. going to actually need you to be proactive and seeking out your neighbor to do justice by them. Um, and, you know, and to not withhold what is due someone, what it is your, when it is in your power and your ability to give it. Isaac Adams is the author of Talking About Race, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations, pastor of Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama. You're on Twitter. What's your, what's your Twitter yeah, man. Uh, I-S-I-C-K-A-D-A-M-S. I-Sick Adams. And I think I have you to thank for, uh, so I do a daily, uh, every morning, tweet Jesus Christ the yes. same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think I have yes, you to thank today. For, uh, for that idea. Because I think you're the first one like on all of Twitter that did a daily. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not kidding, dude. Uh, I oh, think you're the man. first one that did a daily, like, Christ- uh, pointing toward Jesus for the day, uh, Christian, we're one day closer to heaven. And then on the on the weekends, you bring in you bring the church in, so everybody would behave when they read your tweet. Hey man, go to church. Uh, you right. know, get off Twitter, go to church. <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, I'll just say that I know we're I know we're landing the plane. So you you tell I'm a preacher though, so you got to kick me off. Um, we'll start the organ enough. music in the background. <laughs> That's right. Get the get the ham fret, get the hammond going, the B three. Um, there's enough discouragement out there, or at least in my life and heart, that I need a Christ-pointed word mm-hmm. to start my day and end my day. And so, yeah, I just think there's enough sewage out there on Twitter. So I just say, anyone who's listening, let's let's do it together. Let's all post mm-hmm. things about Jesus every yeah. day. Let's just let's just make that our aim, rather than arguing and denouncing and doing all the things that are so life-sucking. When yeah. Jesus is so life giving. So I love that tweet. I saw your tweet today and keep doing it, brother. Thank you. Preach for it, bro. Hey, one final thing. Is the book available yet? Is it is it street date already passed? Yes, yes. So okay. Jan- it came out January fourth by God's grace. So okay. buy one for all your friends, buy 
thousands of copies. Yeah, that's, no, it's, a, it's out that's there. Right. And make sure to space them out so it'll look like a bestseller. That's right. That's right. If you can buy, if you can buy five hundred this week and then seven hundred next week. That's right. Yeah, but by God's great, uh, Proverbs says a, a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. I'm really, I'm really grateful to see it in people's hands. That's awesome. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Uncommentary Pod. Please rate and review, and whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Solideo Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast. Mm-hmm.